You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why we do what we do. I'll be your host, Abraham. And I'm your co-host, Ryan O. And so today we are talking the power to will. Ooh, willpower. Yeah, that one. That's the, that's correct. And so there's important to distinguish right off the bat here what we're talking about in willpower. And is that different from self-control? And so we looked a lot into this. And we both looked independently. And I couldn't really find anything. Yeah, it seems like everybody seems to talk about willpower and self-control pretty much as the same thing, that they're not really fundamentally different. And so we're just going to talk about willpower and self-control as the same thing this yes. episode. So if that makes you mad, then you can hit us up in the comments, link us link us some things. Yeah, and actually, if anybody has any good resources on this or they have a really strong opinion, uh, we'd love to hear from you. So please send us an email or a tweet or whatever you want to do. Uh, you can comment on a SoundCloud, and we will uh, be happy to make any corrections on a future episode. It was hard to find. I'd be impressed. Yeah. Um, and I'd but, appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. So uh, one thing to also talk about before we get into this in the definition, when we're talking about willpower and self-control, is this whole idea of the self. It seems pretty intuitive. Like, we seem to know what we mean when we say willpower or self-control. But the self is actually a more complicated concept than, than maybe what it sounds like. Yeah, so it sounds really simple. You talk about myself, yourself, herself, his, himself, right? Like <laughs> All the pronouns selves. All those, all those selves. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot. I, I remember stumbling across in, across in graduate school, like entire books and books of summarized, edited chapters just on that topic. Yeah, what is the self? So all we're saying is we're not really going to tackle that right now. We're just talking about this concept of self-control and willpower and what that kind of means. So what we mean by that when we say that is that we're regulating behavior in the presence of some sort of temptation or impulse. Right. So um, just to wrap a few more words around that in this in a similar way, it's when you are doing something to manage your own behavior when you really want to do something else or when there's some other motivation to do something other than what you should maybe be doing in a particular circumstance. And so let's actually start with some non-examples of willpower. I think that it really helps highlight what we mean when we're talking about willpower because it's not so simple as just these black and white scenarios of you chose to, like, I put the cookie down because I, I wasn't going to have a cookie yeah. right now. And so would it, I'm going to ask you, Ryan, would it be willpower right now? We're sitting here in this chair in our studio recording. Are you deliberately withholding the temptation to fly into the atmosphere and shoot laser beams out of your eyes? I definitely am not. Okay. Not to my knowledge. Okay. So it's not just that you're not doing it, and so it's willpower to regulate that, right? Um, all right. Here's another one. We're sitting. There's a table in front of us. Is it? Are you controlling? You're having self-control. Are you practicing willpower to not set the table on fire? Again, I don't think so. Okay. I'm going to get a little bit more down to earth. <laughs> All right. We're, we're out of the superhero and arson phase. Is it willpower that you avoid getting up and just walking out of the room? Mm, not necessarily right now, I would say, but... <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of want to. Yeah, okay. No, no I'm, I'm into this. Uh, I like this podcast. Right. But cool. there's times in which I've sat like in a meeting and things like that, and you're like, man, I just want to like, get up and get out of here. And maybe sure. that is you know, will, willpower or self-control that I'm using in that situation. Yeah, there are definitely going to be some times that I can think of that I've been in a situation where I was thinking, I 
want to just what would happen if I just stood up and left right now <laughs> especially when I'm at the DMV or the post office um, but anyway uh, another one and this is I think relevant to me is I follow a relatively strict diet I'm not going to go into but I, I'm on a relatively strict diet and for me following that diet really doesn't take any willpower because it's just what I do and so I don't feel a temptation to do to deviate from this diet that I follow because I've just been doing it for so long it's just it's just how I eat you know and you have a similar story about that. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've known you for nine years. You've had the same diet, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I have, for eight and a half years of that, probably tried to like improve on mine at various points. That's good. I actually, for one, it was for four years, I was trying to like increase my fruit and vegetable consumption and kind of like eat an overall healthier diet. And it was, it took, it was a lot of things. We kind of talked about in the self-management one a little bit. So I'm going to refer people back to that if they want to know as to like what my kind of quick fix was. But when I, specific to willpower, what I remember is the first few months when I was really kind of getting into it and I was liking it, it was still very tempting. And there was a lot of things where it's just like, I need to chug two bottles of water before I go to this event so that I'm not hungry or I'm not, not tempted, sure. right? Um, and I do those sort of things that we're gonna actually get into a little bit later, right? Yeah. And however, it's a lot easier now after nine months or so. Like I'm okay. not finding myself doing those things as much um, or at all in some circumstances. That's going to directly tie into something we get into in terms of sort of practicing and some of the research on it, how self-control develops and whatnot. So yeah. now there were essentially three different ways that we found that self-control is sort of talked about and they sort of fall in this way. And there's also kind of a distinction between self-control and willpower. But the three ways that I sort of found that people talk about this or use it maybe is that you are either blocking temptation, so you're avoiding the temptation at all. Um, you are choosing an alternative in the presence of the temptation, or you are choosing to push through something that is that requires a lot of effort and you're, you're just sticking to it. So those are sort of three different ways. And maybe they're not fundamentally different, but they might be easy to give examples inside of those categories. Sounds like the perfect uh, clickbait title. Three ways to gain self-control. <laughs> it does. Like you just described the continuum. I did. Here's your three steps. Boom. Um, don't know if I'm going to go with that title. I, I'm, af I'm afraid to use too many three ways, five ways, ten ways Yeah, no, I'm not saying, I'm just saying like I could see that article being written and like do really well. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> that would be somewhere on some blog site. So let's go with the first one I mentioned, the blocking temptation. So what's an example of this to you? So blocking temptation, for me, it's just not putting yourself in that situation. Sure. So for me and my healthy eating sort of habits, Friday nights are a very likely time in which I want to go out, I want to um, have a drink and eat all of the awesome, amazing fried food in the world <laughs> or burgers or whatnot. And it's very simple. I mean, it's not very simple, but the the change was just don't go out to those sort of events. Yeah, so it's just deliberately avoiding situations where you'd have to, where you'd be tempted to do the wrong thing. And a, a, another example is maybe you drive by this donut shop and so you take an alternative route so you don't even go buy it. It's, mm -hmm. You don't have the excuse of it's right there, I could just park and walk in, it would only take five minutes on my trip, and I can get some donuts. So you just, you know, maybe find some alternative route to take and then you don't even have to face the temptation of stopping or of stopping and getting donuts. Another one that I did in my life is when Call of Duty Modern, Warf Modern Warfare 2 came out, yeah. I played that thing <laughs> at least 14 hours a day outside Video games of work. are a good example of this. Yeah. And yeah, I lost an entire five week like winter break at UNR <laughs> and uh, my roommate came in he's like you ready for school tomorrow and I was like no 
that's not tomorrow. And it was. So I unplugged <laughs> I unplugged the PlayStation, I gave it to him, and I said, do not let me have this. Wow. Just completely avoided it. That's a big one. I've plugged it in twice since then. That was seven years ago. Jeez. <laughs> Six years ago. Six. Um, that's a really good example. Uh, yeah. There have been... So at one point in my life, I may have liked checking emails or sending emails. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> it's not the case anymore. But... <laughs> There, I, I had in Gmail, they have this feature where if at a certain time of day, it will block you from sending an email and you have to complete some task. Oh. And so mine was after, I think it was 10 p.m. I had it said, maybe 11 p.m. If I tried to send an email, I had to solve a math problem first. And if I got it wrong, Gmail would tell me, a drink of water and a nap for you, go back to bed. <laughs> and it was really just prevent sending stupid late night emails where they didn't make a lot of sense. And a couple of times it actually really stopped me from sending dumb emails that I didn't mean to send. So that was my way of blocking the temptation is making it so I had to, I had some obstacle get in my way uh, so that I couldn't do it. Yeah, all right, so that was the first one. Let's go to the second one. Okay, so the second one I mentioned was choosing alternatives in the presence of temptation. And so this one's, very different in the sense that you don't avoid temptation at all, but you are allow yourself to end up in situations where you would be tempted to choose the thing that you want to do. Mm -hmm. So you don't avoid going to the donut shop. You go drive by the donut shop and you look at it and you're like, not going to do it. <laughs> it's a very hard thing to do, even after lots of experience. It is very difficult. And I think that if you are someone who has a diet or you're trying to follow a diet, hanging out with friends who want to go out and drink and just be merry and eat yeah. fried foods and whatnot, it would be difficult to go hang out with those people and then not partake in those activities, especially if you're used to doing that. Yes, I very much have like cut out in the last nine months when I was making that progress, just mm -hmm. completely cut out seeing some people in some situations. Um, and it's been a little difficult because you got to like rebuild those other ways, but there's some people I, just, I don't see as much as anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I just realized another one I was going to say, and this comes back to the example you gave about Call of Duty, um, was when you choose your to do your homework, even while your friends are there playing video games and maybe a video game that you like, and you instead make that choice of even in the presence of I really want to play video games, I'm going to sit down and do my homework. Mm -hmm. And so that would be another example of this willpower slash self-control sort of thing that people do. Yeah. All right, and the last one I'm actually going to wait a little bit to get to because I want to dig into the research a little bit, and then we can talk about the self-control as it relates to sort of effort and physical exertion. I think that's sort of its own little subset of things. For so sure. let's actually dig into the research a little bit. So there were there's a few good examples of this that we're going to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about this marshmallow test. We're going to talk about there was a study that someone did. I don't remember the authors now uh, who looked at. When, uh, different ways to practice self-control and whether or not that actually strengthened your your sort of resolve or willpower in those moments. Yeah. And then uh, some other things that have happened from people practicing self-control, as well as one area we're going to dig into a little bit more at the end called uh, delayed discounting, or uh, what's the other? This has some other names. I don't remember what it is. Maybe delayed gratification is the other name I've heard used for it. Yeah. So yeah. let's call it delayed uh, delayed gratification. Okay. So on that. What would you predict, based on what you know and your experience in your field, what would you predict would be a way that you could strengthen your self-control or willpower? How do I strengthen it? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've done it historically through the three things that we talked about. Okay. So I actually first, and this took, um, each one's different, but I personally look at what are the triggers and the cues and, oh, right. and how can I work on avoiding the ones that are very tempting, but then slowly introduce them back 
so that I can like practice the alternatives in the presence of those cues and triggers. So one thing that I thought of is one way to practice self-control or building your willpower, getting better at these sort of things would be to just to actually practice it specifically. Uh, put yourself in a situation where you have to practice it or you know do those, those strategies that we talked about. And so someone specifically looked at this in the study where they, they had people with these tasks and they had to, uh, they had them specifically practice self-control in one situation and then they put them in another situation. And what they found from the majority of these people, which I thought was really interesting, is that if they practiced self-control in the immediate first situation, in the next situation, <laughs> they would actually then give in. And yeah. so it was sort of like they were justifying giving in to the second one by by practicing it in the first place. Yeah. So they were thinking or, you know, whatever they were thinking was something along the lines of it's OK if I do this now because I, I was good on step one, you know. Yeah. Um, and an example of this is. Uh, just to go into sort of pop culture <laughs> referencing yeah. uh, in the movie Click, um, Adam Sandler's character on there he's walking through the kitchen and there's a package of Twinkies and a package of oh, I think they're called yellow I don't know what they're called I'm just gonna call them fudge pies <laughs> uh, anyway so he comes up with the first one and he's and he's looking at the the Twinkies and he says I don't need it I don't need it I don't need it and then he walks past it and he gets to these fudge pies and he says <laughs> I do need a fudge pie though and picks it up and goes and there's an example of this practicing self-control in the one instance then the immediate instance afterwards is sort of like well I was good so I can I can do it now so that was one thing that they found in here and or I guess the, the summary of that was that the practicing of self-control leads to a decrease in self-control for something in the future but there are others that have found actually something very different and so let's talk about this marshmallow test yes yeah, so the marshmallow test is like the infamous I mean there's a marshmallow book yeah it's been all over the place right yeah. it was Stanford I think where it came from right yeah in the 1960s yeah so it was a real simple setup. You could have one marshmallow now. And this was with kids yes. specifically. Yeah, young kids between four and six years old. You could have one marshmallow now, or you could have two marshmallows later, later being 15 minutes away. Okay. What uh, What did we see? So what they found was, and they replicated this several times. I think that they've done over 600 kids now. What they found was that most kids would wait the 15 minutes. But there were there were some that would eat it right away, as you might imagine. But most kids actually did wait the entire time. And what they were also looking at, for those who were willing to delay that gratification, uh, how did they do later on in life? And what did they find there? They generally had better life outcomes. And yeah. those were like super broad, right? Like they, they measured were. things like BMI. Yeah, they looked at their <laughs> BMI. It's very funny. They looked at their BMI. They looked at their SAT scores, their general uh, educational, um, I guess, skill or improvement later on in life. Yeah. And so all of that's well and good. And I think it's worth asking the question, why did they wait? For those many kids who waited, why did they wait? And one important thing to look at first is acknowledging what is, uh, what was the situation these kids were in? And we'll notice right away that these kids were given a rule by an authority figure that said, don't do this. Yeah. Or, or at least, you know, wait for this and then you'll have a better reward. As a young child, especially some Stanford researcher in a clinical white jacket, right? Yeah. Like, how often do you get those and like, would you break that rule? Right. <laughs> and I don't know if they tried replicating this with their parents or with other authority figures or anything like that. And this still also reminds me of the, the Milgram experiment, the obedience authority thing. But this whole this whole notion of you can't you can't factor out the rules that were implicit there. If you had mm -hmm. just left them with a marshmallow and said nothing, then that probably would have had a very different outcome. And obviously, they wouldn't 
uh, they wouldn't know they were delaying gratification. So maybe, you know, whatever is going on there, I think is really worth considering what were the rules and what was their history with rules and following rules. Maybe for those kids who didn't wait, they were, they had a, had learned early on in life that they could just not follow rules, get the reward that they wanted, and it's all well and good for them. Yeah. You know, maybe two marshmallows isn't really worth it to wait 15 minutes, and one's good enough. Yeah. And that's always going to be a problem, right? Like measuring the history of a person. Yeah. You just, you can't measure it all. Uh, You try to capture what you can. That's why in studies we have general age ranges that are selected. Yeah. And things like that, right? So as hard as we knock it, like it is hard to measure, I would it, say. It is totally Extremely difficult to measure. Hard. And and the other thing is But you could still try. Yeah. You <laughs> you absolutely could try. <laughs> And you could also see if there were other things that sort of affected, uh, if you could teach kids to wait or you could try other rules, you could maybe try shortening the period of time that they have to wait, maybe it's only five minutes, that sort of thing. And um, there was also something really interesting that they noticed, they're of course watching these kids as they're waiting. And so this actually goes back to one of the things we mentioned is a lot of kids would choose some distraction away from the marshmallows. So there was almost nothing else in the room. But certain kids would turn away and not look at the marshmallow. Put, certain, their, put their head on the table. Yeah, they'd put their head so down, they they'd cover their it. eyes. There were, uh, you know, if girls or, or anybody in there had long hair, they'd play with their long hair. Um, apparently some of the kids would stroke the marshmallow like it was <laughs> like a pet or something. And so well, that goes back to this, they had to, they were sort of employing the strategy of blocking temptation in a way and also some of them were instead choosing to do something else in the alternative. And so, yeah, there was just, it's, it's worth considering what were these other things that these kids had learned, how did that affect what the choices that they made in the situation, and what could they, what else could we learn about the situation by, you know, it's, I think the important, one of the important takeaways is just to say that we, we can't just say that these kids just had better self-control that they were born with this willpower or that that was in any way related to whatever their genetic makeup was in that situation, at least that that was the most important variable because we haven't accounted for all these other variables that are important. For sure. I totally agree. So that being said, what might the brain have to do with it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, like we've mentioned in many other episodes, uh, it kind of has everything to do with it. And that's part of the story, not the whole story. The brain regions involved in this, well, there's many, um, especially because you are probably going to be hearing or looking at or in other ways sensing the, uh, the thing that you're interacting with. Um, whatever situation you're, you're in, you have to know that you're in that situation in order to make the choice to avoid that temptation. Yeah. Um, but specifically, the, the research has found that the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, or DIPFC, <laughs> not that either one of those is For easier shorter, to remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, in the frontal lobes, this all has to do with that frontal lobe part of the brain. Um, those are uh, specific or um, primarily or more active or uh, critically involved in these processes where you are, quote unquote, exercising willpower or self-control. Yeah. And that... Uh, inhibition of the premotor cortex is also involved in this. So, but I guess the overall take home here is that most agree that this is a very complicated, very interconnected process. It's influenced by, like everything else, uh, these genetic biological preparedness of the individual. So how are they biologically set up to do in this situation? And then what are the circumstances that are likely to facilitate or to prevent the development of good self-control or willpower. So all of those things are wrapped together. Do you have the circumstances and are you biologically set up to take advantage of the circumstances? Kind of sounds like our view on a lot of things. 
I think unfortunately it will probably largely come down to we're going to say a lot of this that those are the you you are going to have the biological preparedness or uh, the genetic and biological preparedness to take advantage of certain circumstances and the circumstances have to be present in order for that biology to really matter now the third one i was going to talk about in terms of how is this a little bit different and this might be one of the only places where we found that there maybe is a difference between how around how people talk about self-control versus willpower is with physical endurance type activities and a lot with like sports yeah and so you might not, at least I, I, my, my history with this or my interaction with people talking about sports in this way tends to be more with willpower than it is self-control. And I'm thinking of someone who's trying to maybe lift something really heavy. If they succeed, then I'm more likely to say, wow, they've got really good willpower or really strong willpower than, wow, they've got really good self-control. Yeah. And so the third one that I was going to mention, apart from the other two, was this being able to endure or I guess push through these uh, these difficult high effort sort of situations yeah so Michael Jordan playing basketball being yeah. sick with the flu scoring whatever it was 50 points or something crazy like that right like those sort of things where everyone's like oh he's got so much willpower right right yeah so in that in that case they probably wouldn't say he's got so much self-control but but more but there isn't otherwise anything really fundamentally different and but if we look at this, in the in the case of Michael Jordan having the flu or whatever he was sick he was sick with, what is the temptation there that he was managing his behavior and was not giving into the temptation? It's hard to identify, right? I mean, in that specific example, the idea was like, oh, he's sick. He's got all these other variables affecting him. Like, how is he still performing right. so well? Yes, and if we were to go back, if going back to this definition of when you're managing your behavior in the presence of temptation, what's the temptation there? So the temptation is just to give up, yeah, be done with it, right? Yeah, and that's I think a lot of these where you are pushing through. You maybe you're lifting a really heavy weight, and the temptation is to to give in, is to put it down, to give up, to stop trying. And so when you push through that, and it's you know these physical situations, that that's this this willpower thing. So again, it's not fundamentally different. It's still regulating your behavior in the in the presence of some sort of temptation. It's just in this case, the temptation is to give up with something that's really physically difficult to do. Yeah. Now, again, acknowledging the the role of the brain here, this is going to require somewhat different regions, just because your brain's going to be having to coordinate a lot more muscles than it was if, for example, you're just choosing don't drive past the donut shop or mm -hmm. something like that. And it's also going to have to coordinate just the different context. You have a lot more visual stimulation that you're having to deal with. You're having to do a lot of sort of calculating uh, what kind of moves are happening and where you need to be and that sort of thing. So that's all going to involve different brain regions. But the overall function of these situations where you're dealing with physical exertion isn't really fundamentally different from the other ones. But it's worth pointing out that this seems to be where the term willpower is used different from self-control. And okay. mostly that they seem to be sort of the same. So... I guess a context another contextual example of the use of self-control or willpower here is similar to I mentioned running weights, playing when you're sick, and another one, and we've talked about this on the podcast multiple times, is when you're running. Running, in my experience, is difficult and it's mostly unpleasant. So how about the situation where you're running and you're essentially running as fast as possible even though you're completely out of energy, you continue to push, 
yourself and run. Is that an example of like willpower or self-control? I would totally label it as willpower or self-control. Yeah, and I would too. And I think in this situation, you go back to the same idea that the, the, the temptation is just stop, give up. You know, why are you running? Uh-huh. But I'm going to throw a wrench in this. Okay. So let's say you are being chased by a bear. Yeah. If it, <laughs> is it now called self-control or willpower that you continue to run as, self, as quickly as possible? I don't know. It's probably uh, saving one's life running for one's life yeah right like yeah. it's not necessarily self-control you might say that you still uh like had to dig for that willpower sure for that external thing of a bear chasing you yeah that is a hell of a different scenario right it, it um, is well yeah it's uh, there's clearly an external factor there whereas when you're just talking about running itself there wasn't really a clear external factor there right yeah there is one more difficult to identify yeah. And men probably more subtle. And so you kind of in the situation of weighing your pros and cons. Is it worse to be eaten by a bear or worse to be really tired from running? Probably worse to be eaten by a bear. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe somebody is thinking, I'm definitely just done running. I don't care if I get eaten by a bear. Um, <laughs> running is the worst. Okay. So there was, in a lot of the research I was doing for this, I found this book that um, seemed like it is very related to or people might be interested in checking out. I didn't actually read through the book, but I got some snippets from it. The book was called Rediscovering the Greatest Human Strength, and it's written by Roy F. Bomeister and John Tierney. And this one highlights a lot of the examples of what we've talked about so far in terms of self-control and what is it. And there was another, you found this cool article about the science of self-control and, and willpower and that sort of thing. And so what did you find in this one? All right, so this was an article that came from Psychological Science, recent-ish, last couple years, and simply they had two different groups. One group of people were given the option of, hey, you could receive this reward now, it was a monetary amount, or you could wait one month and you could receive this other monetary amount that was more. Okay, so they could have one or the other one. Yes. Okay. Now the second group, it was phrased a little bit differently. So what they said is you can have this monetary amount now and you can have this other one that's more if you just wait another month. All right. Does that make sense? Yeah, so just to be to give the example, when they, they both had the same choices, the only thing that they changed was the word or or the word and. And so if it was, for example, you can have $1 now or you can have $20 in a month, they might say you can have $1 now and you can have $0 in a month or you can have zero dollars now and you can have twenty dollars at the end of the month yeah yeah exactly yeah and it wasn't just the words or and and the idea was like are these things perceived to be connected i see or disconnected right so so it was the connected that they were really focusing on and the interesting part was that the members of the second group where it was connected they Mm -hmm. use that and like we did in our examples Mm -hmm. they found that they were more likely to wait for the better deal Okay, so if they perceived them more as a sequence of events that were taking place where they were related to each other and not as a choice between you get one thing or you get the other thing, instead as a choice of you get both, <laughs> sort of, where one is equal to zero yes. and one is equal to the, the amount. Yeah, so part of the title that was like summarizing this on the website that I found it on, it was actually newyorkmag.com, was at a, a subtitle that said, rely on your imagination more than your willpower. Okay. <laughs> so the idea, and I get it, their imagination is saying just like looking into the future and these things kind of connected, right? Yeah. So we actually talk about that when we look at a behavioral science kind of view of this sort of thing, right? Sure. All right. So another interesting thing that they found was they were looking at brain scans of the two groups as well. And those presented with the simple like this or that, so they're using that or, mm-hmm. right? Um, showed more activity in the areas associated with willpower. What those are, I do not know myself. I'm not 
claiming to be an expert in those sort of things. The dorsolateral um, prefrontal cortex that was <laughs> Um, yeah, the DIPFC is what it was summarized as. Yeah, I was <laughs> listening to you talk about it. I just do not know that world very well. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> well, those that were given the sequence that were like linked showed more activities in the areas of imagination. Oh, I see. So that's where they kind of came up with the title and kind of talked about all this sort of stuff. I got you. So they were more um, sort of hypothesizing their choices when they were linked at, with the and and more treating it as I have to make a conscious decision to either wait or have what I want right now um, and that was more associated with the willpower right yes okay correct and that was what they sound and that was what the brain scans that they did yes and that actually relates to a topic we're going to talk about in another episode about neurobabble <laughs> <laughs> coming up soon yes cool so where, where does that take us so this is actually very much in line with some of the behavioral economics research that's been done on a topic called delayed gratification or delayed discounting. And what that means is that the value of a reward discounts or decreases over time. That's the whole idea of delayed discounting is that the longer that you have to wait for a particular reward or money or whatever it is you want, in time, um, the less valuable that works. And so, would you want twenty dollars now or twenty dollars a year from now? Well, you're going to say now because in a year from now, you know, what are you going to do with that? And um, then what they do is they ask these questions where they they just adjust those values and say, okay, do you want twenty dollars now or a hundred dollars a year from now? You might go with a hundred dollars, and then they're just going to keep scaling it down until that point where you'll select the um, smaller sooner reward what they call it smaller sooner or the larger later reward about the same frequency and that's called an indifference point and so the whole idea of this behavior economics is this shows that people about the place at which people will choose their rewards as they are delayed in time and the overall premise of this is that the delay to that reward is the most important variable in understanding how people choose the things that they choose, right? Yeah, so it sounds really simple and useful, right? We talk about that historically on this podcast. We talked about things that are very simple um, and work for us, mm -hmm. right? Would be kind of our best things to rely on or use. Uh, yeah, totally. And they actually, so not only do this with money, but they do the uh, similar experiment with things like shock. Uh, do you want a small, uh, do you want a large shock now or a small shock later? Um, people will, or the, I guess people and rats, they've done it with different organisms and pigeons mm -hmm. and whatnot. Um, well, if you are discounting the value, we'll choose the small shock. This is a way that people study things like addiction is very common, uh, financial planning is very common, dieting. This is really wrapped up in a whole lot of the stuff that we've talked about in other episodes on self-management and self-control and habit reversal, like all of that sort of wrapped up in some of this. Yeah, so uh, yeah, and like to kind of tie in what I was talking about, like the reason I brought it up is we are interested in these like very simple solutions to things, but yeah. if you're missing a key component, then you've kind of committed a bigger error there, right? Well, and you, it might not work as well. And so one thing that's important to look at in the, in the delayed discounting or delayed gratification research, this behavior economics stuff, is that it has some things that I've personally really wondered about whether or not it's really valuable or, or that this research is, I guess, hitting all the critical features that are relevant. Because one thing is, and this goes back to when we were talking about those kids, is how does our language factor into this? What, you know, for those of us who tell ourselves, 
um, I can't wait that long, or I don't know if this is really going to be of value to me in a year from now, or whatever it is that you say, you know, what got you to the point where you were more likely to choose the smaller sooner or the larger later? What are your current circumstances? Is someone who's really, really broken in desperate straits more likely to choose the smaller sooner reward because they just need something and they're confident in the year they just won't be in that position again? Yeah. And so all of those are factors that are going to be related to how people make those choice that aren't accounted by accounted for just by that delay and presumably if they are, if you can talk to someone and give them other strategies for waiting for the larger reward then they already have some of those strategies going into a test like this you just don't know what they are yeah and but those might be really really important in understanding how people make that choice and so i guess looking at and trying to um, get some good science around understanding why people are more likely to choose a delay or choose the larger reward and delay their gratification to that is not just as simple as how, how long do we delay it. That's part of it and that's an important variable, but that doesn't account for things like language. And another one that's always been curious to me in these studies is their main variable that they're looking at is value. And in dollar amounts, it's at least relatively easy because you can say, you know, $20 is more than a dollar. But what's interesting about that is the subjective value to a person. Yep, yeah. So a $100 bill to Bill Gates versus a $100 bill to you and I on the side of the street. Yeah. Extremely different. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, you know, I might I might fight for a dollar um, and someone else who has a lot of money might say, I don't need a dollar. I'm not going to work for that. Bill Gates, if you ever hear this, it was just an example. Sorry, man. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Gates, if you're listening. Please send us an email. We'd love to have you on. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so that although you can calculate that dollar amount, that subjective amount is going to be very different. And again, maybe you're someone who just got a really big bonus from work and got asked that question is not going to have the same effect as someone who just lost their job and is now extremely concerned about feeding their family. You know, again, this comes down to maybe in a few months I'm going to have a different job. I'm not going to be worried about this. But right now, I absolutely need any and all income that I have. Yeah. So that's part of the circumstances. So to kind of wrap up this delayed discounting, um, it's pretty descriptive of what's going on, but we're questioning how much it really predicts, right? Yeah. Like what, what someone's going to choose, to, you know, in the future if all you're looking at is the delay. We don't really know what they're going to do. You might have an idea, and you can certainly say that in general, when you delay access to things, people are more likely to pick the sooner option, but that's about as specific as you can get with anybody, and you don't necessarily know what any one person is going to do, because everyone's a little bit different. Now, going into this whole language thing, I think this is just important in understanding and willpower, and I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to make this a little more concise than I had planned to originally, and I just want to talk about this, the fact that when we're talking about language, and we'll, I think we'll, we're going to get into this in a lot more detail in a later episode. But language is, in a sense, thinking of symbols as if they were the things that they represent. So if I were to tell you, for example, your mom just died, then you might have the same physical and like mental reaction to that as if you actually experienced your mom dying. Yeah. And that is because my words can represent the event itself. And the reason that this is important to this whole idea of willpower is because... Sometimes we can have these situations where our words represent the temptation and the temptation is not really a thing. It's more about our words that are getting in the way of whatever it is we're trying to do and our words and our language and this, I mean, I say words, but I also mean sort of our thinking about it, our mm -hmm. logic and our reasoning and our rationale for how we do things, that justification piece of I was good now, so I can, you know, I can give in this time. Yeah. That all is related to this idea of how our words can get in the way of these and 
for an example of this I thought of is um, how people might treat a phobia, for example, where I might say, I'm not going to go outside because I'm really, really afraid of people. I'm really afraid of diseases. I'm really afraid of, um, of getting attacked and things like that. And diseases and people and attacked are all things that could exist in the world, but they don't necessarily live right outside the door. You know, that's just the words that I might have around that. Mm-hmm. And that's not to disparage anybody who has agoraphobia or suffers from these these debilitating phobias where they have trouble being around these situations, just that a lot of times these are rooted more in language than they are the actual circumstances. And there are people who are in really serious circumstances where they can't leave and those are real threats. And I just want to, you know, highlight what that, what that role is. But one way you can potentially address this where the willpower to go outside is to address the language around what exists or the thoughts that people have around their hesitation to do these things because um, you can just say, hey, those are just, that's just what you're saying about it. That's not just, that's not reality. So can you build your willpower in those situations? Well, let's go back to the definition of willpower. If willpower is regulating your behavior in the presence of obstacles or temptation, then yes. Um, there might be other physical or skill limitations that can get in the way, going back to this idea of sports. And it might actually, and this is, I think, a really important key point here is it might actually be dangerous to try and build someone's willpower to try something that they're not physically ready or don't have the skills to do well. So I might be really hesitant to fly an airplane because I'm not a trained pilot. And if you try and build my willpower to believe in myself that I can definitely fly an airplane, that doesn't mean I'm going to sit in front of the, in the cockpit in an airplane and safely take off and land. I'm probably going to kill everyone on board, including myself. Not on purpose because I don't have the skills ready to do that. And so... In certain cases, it might be more about be more about building the the physical skills that are needed, you know, for thinking of things like lifting weights. If I go in and say, you know, I'm going to build someone's willpower so they can lift this hundred pound weight, well, they could actually really hurt themselves. Yeah. But if they actually build up their muscles to the point where they can lift that weight, then they're more like then then it's more important to have that willpower. And the other one is going back to this idea of skills, like with flying a plane, is you build that foundational skill uh, to do that thing, then you might actually get willpower kind of comes along for the ride. You know, now that I know how to do it, I'm more likely to try and be able to succeed because I have the foundation necessary to do it right. Cool, I dig it. (laughs) You got anything else to cover on this one? No, I think it's a pretty good summary. Sweet. Yeah. So let's just overall take home here. What what are we what are we walking away from with this? So willpower and self control are used pretty darn similarly. Yeah. Throughout everything we could find. True. And if anyone has anything that shows otherwise, like we'd love to hear from it. Yeah. That's first thing. What was our definition again? That the willpower that we, we kind of like locked into. Yeah, I think it was just that it's a description of how you regular, regulate your behavior or how you perform in the context of temptation or obstacles. Um, and you want to take the more difficult route than the easier route. Yeah, so there's we do it all the time, all sorts of different activities, right? Like you can span like, I don't I mean, theoretically, it could span anything that we do. Yeah, correct? I mean, I sit down... I think people who get good at this and they go to a restaurant and they're really, really hungry don't just order everything that looks good on the menu. Some people probably do. I know I'm more likely to order three things if I'm really hungry. But uh, most people sit down they'll order the one thing. Even if they're really hungry, they'll order the one thing knowing that when they have eaten that thing, they're not going to be so hungry. They aren't going to want all those other things that they've ordered. And people do that all the time. I might want to text or call someone, but I'm at work. And I know this is an, appropriate, this is an inappropriate time to do that, so I'm not going to do that. So there's some willpower there. 
And so there's a lot of situations where you just have to use willpower on these sort of mundane, everyday sort of humdrum things. Yeah, so that said, there's like a lot of different things that affect it. That was another thing we hit on really, really hard. Um, one of the big ones that isn't talked about as much is like this rule kind of following in the language we use. Yeah, absolutely. The language could really play a huge part in our willpower and especially in a, the things that are getting in the way of us making choices about things that are important to us. And so um, those, you know, how we think about it and how we talk about it and how we talk to ourselves about it and how we talk to other people about it all can relate to our willpower. And I think the last one, sort of on that point, is that you can improve your willpower uh, through practice, through... Uh, those strategies that we talked about. Yeah, de through, developing your physical abilities. Yeah, building right? the foundational skills that you need and then putting yourself in a situation where you have to practice it and actually following through on that, <laughs> not yeah. just justifying it. And um, But with the caveat in there that it's important that you have those skills so that you aren't just practicing willpower and then putting yourself in a situation where you're likely to get hurt or hurt someone else um, because you focused on the willpower and not the skills or the physical you know, uh, strength that you needed. Yeah, so like I said before, a few different times on these episodes, is it's always an individual kind of like database approach, right? Like yeah. where you at, where are your skills, and where you're trying to get to, and start mapping those out and taking small steps. Boom. Cool. I think we got it. With that, I'm Ryan O. This is Abraham. And we are out. Signing off. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by ABAI's Disseminating Behavior Analysis Special Interest Group and our amazing listeners. If you like what you heard, consider heading to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash podcast. Anything helps, and we are continuously lining up perks and merch for our supporters. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.wwdpodcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is Abraham, Ryan O, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brucier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Brendan Bohr does our episode art. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.